Konnichiwa, and welcome back to the Oki Oki Show. I'm Donna. And I'm Brandon. And this is our December 2021 edition of our our book club style movie discussion fandom of Japanese movies. Yes, it's where we each month on the 15th of that month, we watch a different film and then uh, talk about it all Movies coming from Japan, and um, what did we watch this month, Donna? This month, we watched Shimotsuma Monogatari, or the English title is Kamikaze Girls. Yes, and this one's been a long time coming for us. It's a movie we actually watched for the first time, I want to say, a little over a year ago. Was it in 2020 at some point, or was it in 2019 when we watched this movie? Yeah, it was about a year ago, um, almost exactly. Gotcha. And we we enjoyed it so much that we wanted to make certain we brought it back here for the podcast. And so we thought we'd close out 2021 with a known favorite and something we were both very excited to be talking about. So with that said, we are going to do a quick plot synopsis before we jump into our topics for this month. So here's your chance if you want to avoid any spoilers and check it out real quick. Okay. So the story follows Momoko Yugasaki, and she's like a Lolita girl, but she's in Shimotsuma, which is this little bitty like farming town in rural Tokyo, Yokohama area that they don't have like their biggest store is the equivalent of Walmart, right? Like, and she despises that everyone gets their fashions there. Because it goes against everything that is um, of the Rococo era um, that she so much embodies her life around, which is very much to do what you want to do and, and live the life that leads to pleasure. And that's it. So things start changing for her when she meets Ichigo Shirayuri, who is a member of the Ponytails girl biker gang. Right. She actually ends up meeting Ichigo because she, her only source of income for a long time is from her somewhat deadbeat father, I think is, a, is an apt term to use to describe him. He, uh, he made a lot of money at one point doing a crossover fashion line with Versace and Universal Studios uh, without the permission of either. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so they're knockoffs and uh, not well, licensed. Yes, and um, this ends up getting him kind of exiled to rural Japan, um, and uh, this is where um, the the troubles kind of start for uh, Momoko with needing finances, and so she ends up selling the knockoff Versace uh, merchandise, um, and that's where she ends up meeting Ichigo, is selling that that knockoff merchandise. So Ichigo's kind of rough around the edges, pretty well the opposite of Momoko, but they end up kind of forming a bond because Ichigo needs Momoko's help in getting embroidery done on her jacket because Ichigo's gang leader is retiring and she wants to send her off with something special embroidered on her gang jacket. So the two go on a uh, wild goose chase in search of this mythical embroiderer and... um. They go all over Tokyo looking and cannot find uh, this this mystery jacket maker. So uh, Momoko agrees to actually make the embroidery herself uh, for Ichigo. 
Yeah, it turns out Momoko is a very talented embroiderer. That's one of the things she loves doing. She does a beautiful job on the jacket, and she also gets noticed by Baby the Stars Shine Bright, her favorite retail store, and kind of gets a job with them. And um, meanwhile, though, things aren't going quite as well for Ichigo after she discovers that the man that her gang leader is retiring with is none other than the person she has a crush on. Right, which is Ryuji the Unicorn. Yeah. And uh, so not only is this leader that that Ichigo looks up to so much uh, retiring, but has taken, uh, allegedly taken her love interest as well. Right. So Ichigo's pretty upset and she decides to leave the gang and she's taking a page from Momoko's book and saying, you know what? I'm going to do what I want and live my own life. But the gang is like, yeah, well, we're going to beat you up because that's what gangs do. Yeah, leaving doesn't come without uh, without a cost. And uh, once Momoko hears about this and learns that uh, Ichigo is going to be in trouble, uh, she races off uh, to defend her new friend and save her, um, all while missing the deadline for being able to turn in this embroidery project for her newfound career. Momoko does save the day. She gets Ichigo out of the gang troubles, and Ichigo races her finished embroidery project up to Baby the Stars Shine Bright so she can get it turned in on time, and um, even helps save the day by modeling clothes, somewhat against her will, but she'll, she'll do it. Yeah, and Momoko actually turns down the job at uh, Baby the Stars Shine Bright because she knows in her heart of heart that would go against everything that she, her child self, would have wanted for her, which was to just live life um, doing what you want to do. And it was much more fun to purchase the clothes than it was to make them. So mm-hmm. she decides that she's going to continue to just be a customer and not, in fact, an employee. Ta-da! That, that was Kamikaze Girls. That was Kamikaze Girls. Donna, what did you think of this movie? Oh, I loved it. I absolutely just adore this movie. What do you think about it? Uh, same. I thought it was fantastic. Um, I was nervous because I liked it so much the first time that we watched it that I I was concerned that it wouldn't actually hold up on, on second viewing. And uh, boy, was I proven uh, wrong with that. I absolutely adored it. Yeah, I just really thought that it was fantastic. I mean, it's so much fun. And we'll kind of get into some of the reasons as, as to why. But you know, we've talked about for kind of months now about this movie, about how challenging it is to find. Um, I was able to find a low quality version of it that has, somebody has uploaded to YouTube. Um, and so if there is no other way to watch it, that's a possibility. Um, I don't know that I would actually too much push for that just because it's such a good movie. I'd hate for anything to take away from it on first viewing, but yeah, I think this is probably one of my top five favorite movies. I, I really loved it. Yeah, it's, it's a good one for many, many reasons, but do you want to go ahead and jump in with your first topic? Yeah, certainly. So um, there is actually, fortunately, there's a lot of um, a lot of things to find about this movie in a lot of different areas we could look into and talk about. Um, One of the first things I just kind of wanted to talk about was something that I I I noticed that I I really enjoyed sort of how the film talks about gender roles um, and how it kind of subverts a lot of stereotypes in in talking about this. I will be viewing this from, uh, you know, I'm a cisgendered straight white man so it it will 
come from that perspective of it. And so there's a lot of other perspectives that are not my own that can be gleaned from this. So just kind of wanted to lay the groundwork for that. But I find it really uh, awesome just kind of upfront how Momoko, who is very much the, the essential Lolita girl, which if you are unfamiliar with the term, you, most likely you have seen um, this attire at some point in life. Um, it is very, very frilly uh, dresses. Think like a, a little girl tending to sheep, like in a blue bonnet and um, very lacy, frilly uh, ends of the dress. I'm now realizing how little of the anatomy of dresses that I know. <laughs> The, the hem is very frilly and, um, yeah, a lot of times has bonnets. Uh, th- this film um, and Momoko in, in particular uh, are very much icons of this uh, community. First kind of thing that, of that that stands out that it goes against kind of more stereotypical uh, mindsets is she is one of the most careless individuals in, in the entire movie. She only focuses on herself. She has no concern for other people's feelings. Uh, that changes, of course, as her character develops and everything to an extent. But typically, it's more the masculine, stereotypically masculine characters that have that, like, oh, I don't need anybody else. And this is uh, in contrast with Ichigo's character, who is this really tough uh, biker chick who is completely reliant on other people. Every part of her character is dependent on needing other people from, you know, her start when she was bullied as a kid and inevitably uh, leads to her joining the biker gang. It was all about finding her place and finding her connection to other people. And once she starts hanging out with Momoko, she latches onto her, you know, even though she's headbutting her and being this cruel, callous person, she will not leave Momoko alone. And and there's so much in, you know, these kind of flipped roles of these two characters that goes against so much of what is, quote unquote, like normative in, in these gender stereotypes. To further that point of kind of the the gender roles and how it's like a little bit gender bending of like normative stereotypical kind of gender presentation and behavior. Ichigo is, it literally means strawberry, Ichigo. Mm. And in the movie, Ichigo, the character, makes a point of being like, no, my name's Ichiko. Like, she she's trying to, like, retroactively change her name to something a little tougher and less feminine and cute as a fruit. <laughs> and it's just, it's interesting because um, as much as she wants to be perceived as that tough like Ichiko which is like first child is what that would literally translate to at the end of the day she is still strawberry and that's just kind of funny it's like this tough exterior but inside she's really sweet I mean absolutely it it all kind of plays within the the space of the universe of this movie obviously it passes the Bechdel test if you're unfamiliar with the Bechdel test um, it is a test for films basically of whether or not they portray women living in the world, like, like legitimate people and not just like vessels for male protagonists. And it comes from a comic, uh, like a comic strip that came out in 1985. The, the criteria for, uh, the, the Bechdel test 
is the movie has to have at least two women in it, um, and they have to talk to each other, and it has to be something has to be about something other than a man. Which, yeah, very easy to pass the Bechdel test, and I, I and that's obviously there are instances for films that it's impossible for them to pass the Bechdel test. You know, character pieces featuring a single character that have no other characters. That's the rare instance in which, you know, but that's a very specific thing. Other than that, it's, you know, 90%, 95% of the films you would imagine would be able to pass this. The joke being is that if you actually start to pay attention to this, very few movies do in fact pass this test. One thing that's funny about this and that I, I saw in doing research about it is Kamikaze Girls actually fails the reverse Bechdel test, which is this test, but applying it to men. Um, <laughs> it has two male characters or, you know, male presenting characters who, no, three that I can think of just, no, four, I guess there's, there's a handful. I'd say there's like two main male characters. But my thought being is that there was, there's one instance that I can remember where two male characters were speaking to each other. And that is when the, the unicorn was coming to save, uh, Ichigo and Momoko in oh. the Pachinko. Yeah, he's uh, talking to the pachinko parlor owner or boss or whatever. But he is talking to him about the two girls, so it would fail still. Right. <laughs> um, so I just thought that was kind of funny. Is like, oh, no, that's that's how that would fail. Um, I, I also just kind of really appreciate that in terms of, I don't know, you don't see very many movies that, that succeed the Bechdel test, let alone fail the reverse Bechdel test and are not just, what's the word, like placating towards just women like it's not a this is not a story that is something that can't be enjoyed by everybody who watches this uh, maybe you won't enjoy it but but it's not hinges on the fact that it's something that's just a for lack of a better term you know there, there are movies that are quote-unquote chick flicks i don't think that that's a proper term that's probably really derogatory in a lot of ways but it's not it's meant for everybody you know yeah uh, and i mean to your point like I don't know what I'm getting from this segment is like it doesn't just use these girls to sell a story to men or to girls like exactly. they're interesting characters who have deeper thoughts and experiences than just crushes. Exactly. And and I do I want to clarify as well. I don't agree with or properly or want to use the term uh, chick flick because I think it's very demeaning is that a movie is. Only meant for women. Well, but to that point, like that's I think that's part of why this is not a chick flick. Like, because it's not pandering or like looking right. down on. Uh, yeah. I just I think you're right. That's all. Well, that was mine. You want to go ahead and um start with your first topic? Yeah. So I wanted to talk about Anna Tsuchiya, who plays Ichigo in the movie, and she is just really interesting as we started kind of, you know, putting together our notes and I was looking at the actors and director and all this good stuff. She stuck out because she also, she's a rock star as well. Mm -hmm. So I started looking more into her because she's just an interesting person. So I'm going to start with a profile. She was born in 1984 in Tokyo and she is half Japanese, half American. Her father's American of Polish descent, which also... It's funny because she's playing the Yankee. Like, that's the term given to, like, the type of gang situation that she's in. So, I don't know. That's just funny to me that they found someone who's 
half Yankee to play the Yankee. Ayo. <laughs> um, she actually did not start out as an actor, even though she was fairly young when she played this role. She was about 20 when the movie came out. But her first career was as a model. And her older sister was a model and was like, hey, you should also model. And by about the time that Kamikaze Girls came out, she had actually semi-retired from modeling. So very short-lived career, but she was very successful as a model for a while. Kamikaze Girls was actually Tsuchiya's acting debut. It was her first movie. Right about that same time as when she started getting into music and leaning into that as a career. So she kind of left modeling and was like, I'll try this acting thing. And also I'm doing music. And while this movie was a huge success for her and she did get other acting and voiceover roles after this, music was definitely also a huge success for her. She's been in different bands at different periods. She's had a couple of marriages and a couple of divorces and I think four kids at this point, but, you know, she would get pregnant and leave a band and then a few years later join a new band or start a solo project. And that's kind of how that went for a while. She kind of has this, I don't know, it it reminds me of like a grungier Paramore kind of sound, mm. but she does a lot of like pop rock kind of music. She's got a really like grunge 90s emo kind of look. I've read that she's inspired by Nirvana and Queen, and you can kind of hear that even where those could be influences. And then she's also got this kind of raw tinge to her vocals, like where she'll have some vocal fry or um, like crack in her voice that sounds just really emotional and packed. Look, is it okay if I play one of their songs? I would love for you to. So good. Gives me chills. Yeah, I, I could see those those influences. I mean, it's and so I, I'm sorry, you may have said this and I, I apologize. My my brain is not what it what it once was when I was a young man. Um, mm-hmm. She is from Japan, correct? Yeah. So she was born in Tokyo, but I'm sure you noticed that song started with English and she has fans in English speaking countries who don't realize she's even Japanese at first because she has a lot of her lyrics are in English and she tends to write her own lyrics too. So she she has an interesting sound where she really toys with English and Japanese. I mean, this is also somewhat of just my Western perspective of this. Um, I don't 
feel like I tend to see the name Anna very often and is a Japanese name. I don't know. That that doesn't not something I see very often. Yeah. That was the first thing that clued me in that she might not be fully Japanese was just like, oh, that's a really American or Western first right. name. But yeah, which it's kind of cool because it's also one of those names, though, that kind of translates really easily into Japanese. Like there aren't a bunch of weird sounds or extra consonants that are hard to switch over. Like it'd be really easy to make her name Japanese. Right. Um, well, on the topic of music, can I can I play one of my favorite tracks from the, the soundtrack of this movie? Yes, please. So that is, um, she said off of the Kamikaze Girls soundtrack. I uh, the the music by this for this film is by Yoko Kano. Um, That's super right. It's funny because last month we talked about composers, yeah, and you had mentioned her, and so when that name popped up, I was like, "Why do I know this?" <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately, she is the one that has a lot of plagiarism accusations against her uh, throughout her career. Um, that being said, I, I don't really care. I really much this this song and the scene in which this song is used um, is fantastic. Um, so that that first song you played, I believe, was used for or it, it's somehow in connection to the manga and anime Nana. So super popular manga and anime series, and so a lot of you listening are probably already aware of it if not fans of it i personally full disclosure haven't read or watched it although it's on my list but i just thought this was super cool uh tsuchiya does the singing voice of nana in the Hmm. anime so it's really interesting because they i see a lot of parallels in their lives and then it's anna and nana and it's all the same letters and like it's just really cool because they even look kind of similar. This looks dope. Yeah, I've never heard of this, but I, I this looks really really cool. So in the show notes, um, I've got a link to that song as performed in a special live concert mm. where Anna is doing Nana songs, <laughs> stuff she did either for the anime or in her album, which was inspired by it. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. So with that said, um, I'll pass the mic back to Brandon. Well, we have two mics, so don't do that. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, my next thing that I wanted to talk about was um, more or less, I think, one of the biggest reasons I I like this movie so much. I, I think it's hilarious. It has a lot of up and downs where it's not, you know, a straightforward comedy by any means. But the use of comedy in this movie, I, I mean, is incredible. I, I think that, that at no point in the movie do they not take an opportunity where there is an opportunity there. And what this movie reminds me so much of on my first and even more so in my second watch um, 
is the works of Edgar Wright. Um, and you, he is responsible for films, uh, like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world and baby driver. So, yeah. Cause when, when we originally watched this, I remember thinking like, yeah, this reminds me of Scott Pilgrim, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I kind of had struggled for a little bit nailing exactly why, other than the fact that it has a lot of fast cuts and I didn't feel as though, you know, fast cuts aren't the only thing that make Edgar Wright as successful and, and as good of a director as he is. So one of the things, and we'll we'll have this in the show notes as well, that I kind of use to help really put together the connection between these two. Um, there is a, uh, a video essayist, I suppose is the title for this, uh, on YouTube by the name of Every Frame of Painting. They have since retired from making video essays, unfortunately, but one of their more popular ones is talking about how uh, how well Edgar Wright uh, uses the the medium of cinema to convey comedy. And having watched that, I, I see so much in the same techniques that uh, Tetsuya uh, Nakashima uh, used in in creating this film. And um, Tetsuya Nakashima is that the director? Yes. Gotcha. Um, one of the biggest aspects that I, I see in this is that in every scene of this movie, it felt as though the question was asked, how exactly do we make this transition work and make it something more than, and not even transition. I don't mean, you know, getting from one scene to another, but just how do we, how do we take every moment and make it something different and try and make it stylistic and make it, you know, entertaining in ways that it, you know, for instance, early on in the film, there is the montage of uh, Momoko's childhood and and where she, you know, has these now separated, divorced parents who, both of which are not, they, they're very neglectful of Momoko. Um, and that is partly what created Momoko's personality and being very uh, focused and driven on, on personal gain and perseverance. And this montage, you know, it could be very quickly done with sad undertone music, but it is hilarious. The, the montage itself is amazing as it it has this character playing the young Momoko who very deadpan, almost just like a magical, omniscient voice of a character living and speaking through herself and uh, being in charge of her life. I mean, she very obviously could have gone to live with her mother. That was what would made the most sense, but it was more fun to live with her dad who farts in his, in her face, you know? And, um, <laughs> that I just, I love it so much because there's, there's certain spots where they bring in a little bit of like animation or like a special effects. And that was one of those moments with like her dad being like toot. And it was just like a little fart cloud animated. It just, hilarious yeah well and, and speaking of animation the other time that animation is used is when they are retelling the story of the biker gang that is done in animation and Momoko actually says you know she says well you know it's kind of a it's another long story so we'll put it in animation for you um <laughs> kind of breaking that that fourth wall and acknowledging you know there isn't a particular reason for doing x y and z other than the fact that you know if somebody is going to give you upwards of two hours of your their time to watch, you know, their movie, make it worth it. Make them entertained. And, you know, they could have done another montage similar to the first montage to retail the story of the biker gang. And instead of that, they did this very unique animated 
short, basically, in the middle of this film that is wholly unto itself a style that is, as far as I know, it is not anything similar to the manga or anything along those lines. It is just very, I don't know, it looks something almost like a Cartoon Network show from like the early 2000s. It's very strange. Yeah, which it this is does from the early 2000s, not so. look like manga or anime. It looks like... Um... What's the name of that band that's all the one guy? And- oh, Gorillaz? Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of Gorillaz, this animation style. It's not the girly, frilly, like, cute, big, shining eyes that I'm used to seeing in, like, Japanese animation or, like, soft lines. It's, like, jagged cartoons. <laughs> but basically, I think, you know, the thing about the way this film was made that I enjoy so much about it and is reminiscent of that of, of Edgar Wright's films. And I really think it's just any creator worth their weight is going to put the love and care that they are able to put into every single shot of every single scene. And I think this is one of those movies where you could watch it and watch it again and watch it again and find something new and small every time you watch it. Uh, well, like one of the things just in doing some research is something that I hadn't caught on the first two watches in the flashback scene for Ichigo, where she is remembering the first time she met her gang leader, pulls her over on the side of the highway. Group of bikers drive by this, you know, young girl on a bicycle and then they one of them stops and it's this gang leader and she gets off of the bike and, you know, this really awesome guitar riff uh, starts playing and then she walks in slow-mo. Also, I feel as though that shot is a perfect argument for the fact that this is very much a queer film. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't I don't fully believe that Ichigo was actually in love with the unicorn. I think she was in love with the gang leader anyway. Mm. Neither here nor there. But what I didn't notice is in when she walks towards Ichigo, um, she flips her hair and they have coated her hair in glitter. So when her hair flicks, glitter is kicked up oh my and God. spun in Amazing. the background and stuff. And it's like not a necessary thing, but it makes it look, you know, incredible. Um, and it's that kind of thing. I mean, the whole movie is like, if you look in the background, sometimes it doesn't have to be, it's not like hidden messaging or anything along those lines. It's just, they were like, yes, that would make sense that it were here. You know, let's put some stuff in the windows in the background to make it look more fairy like for Momoko's home and th- things like that. And, and it's, mm. that's, that's what Edgar Wright does. I mean, it, it's every single shot and every scene, um, at least in up, up and through, um, the films I've seen, I have not seen his most recent film, so maybe he diverts the course for this. But it, there's a genuine sense of love, and I don't even—I don't want to say love as much as it is just professionalism. In that, why waste a moment? Why why mm. do anything other than what would make each shot and each scene the best it can be? I rest my case, Donna. <laughs> Great you, job. Thank you. If there's anything else you'd like to add, um, you can't. But otherwise, yeah, I I want to add one thing, which is. There are so many just gorgeous shots in this film. Like they take the natural color and turn it up to 10 and Very just oversaturated. Really dig deep into it and it is a visual feast. It's great. And so I took some screen caps too. Of there there were moments on the second watch where I was just like wow. Like I couldn't even pay attention to what was happening because it was just gorgeous. Well, then can I actually, can I cap mine off and tell, tell you my favorite scene of the movie? Please. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, Ichigo is in love with this unicorn guy and, or her gang leader. Um, and when 
she discovers and learns at the retirement party for the her gang leader that that it's the unicorn that she is marrying and having a kid with. She's obviously very upset, and um, there there is a, a scene where Momoko gets towards uh, Ichigo, and Ichigo is kind of standing at the bottom of this bank, this river bank, and um, there, there's something said in the film about you know you shouldn't cry in public or anything like that. Her and, gang leader, that's what she told her the night right. they met. Is yeah, you never cry in public. And um so Momoko turns and says, Okay, well I'll leave then, but then doesn't really leave. So she's not actually leaving her friend uh, alone to cry. And then she begins to cry, which that already is so very, very sweet. It's it's very, very touching moment. Um but what makes it kind of like cinches it, and I think this is what makes it one of my favorite films is just this scene, is the narration by Momoko um, also denies the fact that Ichigo was crying. And there's something so unique and special about this fourth wall breaking film that, you know, is kind of just poking and jabbing. And even this character who, you know, cares only for herself, for the film to go so far as, you know, it was not going to acknowledge to even us, the public. You know, the world wasn't going to know. Momoko was going to keep it from everybody and it's so interesting to see a character make the decision for the audience for the author like or for the Mm. this the narrator you know we can all see that Ichigo is devastated we don't need to be told that and then even so further to be lied to by a character as Mm. though this character was trying to preserve something it knew it couldn't preserve you know and I I don't know there's something just so awesome about that and i've just never really seen that before and yeah that was just that whole moment was i mean i got goosebumps so yeah ah yeah it makes me teary but that was actually the scene i was thinking about where i had to stop for a second and i think i said out loud wow because there's this like dusky cloudy sunset you know where there's not where there's like kind of low-hanging soft clouds in the sky and so they just soak up the orange and gray of a sunset Mm. and that's behind them and it's just gorgeous and so to have this beautiful kind of somber visuals behind them as well is just mm, chef's kiss (laughs) all right well do you want to bring us uh bring us your final thing for the episode absolutely you made me all teary, and now I have to re- regroup. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Kamikaze Girls, or Shimotsuma Monogatari, is based on a light novel. And so, I figured it'd be good for us to learn what exactly is a light novel, because it's a uniquely Japanese thing. At least it started that way. And the novel is by... Novala Takemoto. Light novels are kind of, I mean, they're novels, as as in the title. So they typically cater to high school or middle school age people. So it's kind of like YA here in the U.S. But one distinct difference is that they tend to have illustrations. So it's not quite a manga or a visual novel, but it is a lighter read and it has illustrations. And then also it's it's actually easier to read because they typically contain simpler and more modern kanji. Hmm. So if you're just, you haven't memorized 
you know, 1,500 or 2,000 kanji yet, this might be a better book for you to read than a typical novel off the shelf. This style, it's actually been around for a long time. We've talked before on the show about the pulp magazines and like serial stories that would come out in monthly or weekly editions of magazines. And this is more or less where light novels are credited to have their start. They've been around longer than 1975, but there was a specific light novel in 1975 that people credit with originating this style. Since then, it's really boomed, especially in the early 2000s, which Shimotsuma's story, or Shimotsuma Monogatari, came out in 2002. So this was right when light novels were really peaking of popularity in Japan and also starting to get popular elsewhere. According to the Japanese government, <laughs> there were approximately 30 million copies of light novels published annually. Wow. And that was in 2007. Wait, 30 million oh, copies published. Okay, I don't know why in my head I was like, they made 30 million of these novels. <laughs> So, I mean, it was not only a very popular medium to be writing, but also it did well with the audience. So lots of people creating, lots of people consuming. And that was in 2007. Um, the next year that grew even more. And I, I'm sure it's fallen off a little bit since then. I know one of the newer things that, you know, rose and fell in popularity since the aughts was um, cell phone novels. Hmm. That was kind of like the thing after light novels where each chapter would be just 170 or like 240 characters because that's the length of a text message. Hmm. And so these novels would literally be texted or emailed around and told in text message sized chunks. Wow. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, just kind of watching how... Uh, the way we tell stories evolves. And um, the author of Shimotsuma's story is also really interesting. The author's name is Novala Takemoto, but Novala is not their given name. That's their pen name. It means wild rose, <laughs> which I think is also really fitting to the kind of persona. Like he's described as being very eccentric. He's a fashion designer and he writes about Lolita girls. Like, Wild Rose, <laughs> absolutely. And um, he's a character I wish I could find more about him, but I wanted to share what I did find about him because he's just so intriguing. So like I said, he's a fashion designer. He actually made designs for Baby the Stars Shine Bright because mm. that's a real store. I was going to say, we should have mentioned that, that that is, in fact, an actual store in, in Tokyo. Yeah, and he helped popularize Lolita fashion, partly through his light novel and also largely through this movie. Um, the fashion scene of that Lolita style saw a huge boom after the film. And there was a whole line of kamikaze girls inspired, novala designed Lolita fashion that was exclusive to Baby the Stars Shine Bright. And it's just so interesting seeing all these cultural cross points. I don't know. This guy's just neat. But unfortunately, I think this is part of why I can't find a lot about him 
He was arrested twice on drug possession. Now Japan is really strict historically on drugs in general, and they're one of the many countries that still does not allow for cannabis. He was arrested in 2007 and 2015, both for possession of cannabis. So he just kind of fell off of the, the internet and the webs after that. But because that happened, Baby the Stars Shine Bright pulled his designs mm. that that they made with him. Now, that stinks if you're a big fan of Kamikaze Girls and you like the fashion and you want to buy that dress that Momoko was wearing. But it's really great if you were one of the early fans and jumped on it because those pieces are worth a ton <laughs> of money. So it's just an interesting bit of background and lore and kind of what came about to make Shumotsuma Monogatari turn into Kamikaze Girls, the 2004 cult classic. Very interesting. Um, well, thank you for, for digging in on that. I mean, that that is a kind of a wealth of knowledge as far as the the background of this movie. And I, I really think we've probably only scratched the surface. I know both of us had a number of other things that we were interested in talking about. Um, and diving into with this. So I encourage anybody, if they do watch this, to, to look into it as well. There's a ton of other awesome things to find. Um, and I'm excited to see more work by this director as well. Do you have a lesson for us, Donna? Of course. Okay, because I've decided that regardless where you stand on whether this is a queer film or gender bending or whatever, I think... I think the heart of this story is that these two unlikely companions became true friends. Mm. So we're going to learn how to say cherish your friends. Oh, nice. I want to break this down first. The phrase is otomodachi o taisetsu ni shimasu. Mm. Tomodachi is friend, but we're adding the honorific o at the beginning. So you could take that part or leave it. I think since you're talking about someone else's friends and talking about them as a treasure, that's why you want the honorific O, but it's not necessary. So O Tamadachi. Right. And then the verb is Taisetsu Nishimas. Now Taisetsu is like precious. Taisetsu. It's, it tends to be more of like a uh, an adjective or a noun type of situation, but they've verbified it. <laughs> by adding the nishimas. nishimas. So all together, o tomodachi. O tomodachi. O. O. Taisetsu ni. Taisetsu ni. Shimas. Shimas. O tomodachi o. O tomodachi o. Taisetsu ni shimas. Taisetsu ni shimas. Hi. Hi. Wonderful. Well, still holds up one of my favorite films now. Get it if you can. Highly recommend watching it. Donna, do you, uh, what else have you been watching here recently? Oh, we've watched a bunch of interesting films, this and that kind of films for our other podcast, The Bargain Den. That's a lot of what I've been consuming lately. Been playing some video games, been playing the new Mario Party. What about yourself? Um, I would say probably the thing that's been brought back into my life here recently that had left for a long time. Uh, is South Park. I, I have not sat down to watch South Park for any kind of extended period of time. And um, Don and I are in a position now where we are able to access some South Park viewing and, and watched their most recent 
outputtings into the universe. Their 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 <laughs> pandemic special and exclusive event that uh, that they put out recently. Their post COVID exclusive event. It's a not an appropriate show. Uh, not uh, not a PG <laughs> one. I'd say for certain. But I've uh, been watching that, and then um, I just finished a book that was recommended to me uh, and loaned to me um, called uh, Her Body and Other Parties. Um, it's a set of short films, short films, short stories, uh, short horror films, and I uh, highly recommend that one as well. That was very, very good. Um, some of them were very, very scary in a lot of fun ways, and um, yeah. That reminds me. I do want to recommend a book, and it should be out by the time this episode is out, but I just read if this gets out and it was really good and if if this movie that we talked about kamikaze girls intrigues you especially for like we brought up the the gender bending and queer aspects of the film then i think you would enjoy if this gets out so you could check that book out wonderful um so before we get out of here do we want to go ahead and talk about our 2022 film list yeah, this is the time to announce it. So we're going to kick things off in January with good old-fashioned Gojira, 1954, the OG Gojira. If you're not familiar, that is the original Godzilla. Um, mm-hmm. Just if you have not heard the the Japanese title, uh, Gojira. Uh, in February, we are going to be watching The Traveling Cat Chronicles that came out in 2018. I'm so ready to cry. Oh, you think it's going to be a cry one? I think I am. Yeah. You, well, I the mean, trailer made me cry. Oh, you watched the trailer? I haven't seen. I didn't even watch the trailer. I thought we watched that one. Maybe we did. Maybe I blocked it out so I could be excited for it. <laughs> uh, then in March, we're going to watch Ponyo, classic Miyazaki um, from 2008. In April, we are going to be watching Suicide Club from 2001. That is directed by Sion Sono, uh, who also directed The Forest of Love. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, we had kind of a weird experience with that one. So I'm excited to dip into, uh, their, their most popular film, Suicide Club. Then in May, we're going to watch Rashomon 1950. So again, returning back to some old school, um, this is a Kurosawa. So if you've been waiting for us to delve <laughs> into that, we're going to do it in yeah. May. <laughs> and if you haven't been waiting, then just know that, uh, Kurosawa is, uh, like the Japanese director to many people. I mean, he also did, if I'm not mistaken, The Seven Samurai. I believe you're right. That yeah, is... he's he's got some of the biggest name in the golden age of Japanese cinema. So that should be a good episode. After that, we're going to be watching uh, in June the film Battle Royale uh, from the year 2000. Now, this is uh, funny to think about that in 2000, there was something known as a Battle Royale. Uh, Fortnite even wasn't wasn't even a thing at that point. How is this even known about? <laughs> How'd they know about Battle Royales back in the day? How did they even? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. And then in July, it's Miss Hokusai. It's a 2015. And the name Hokusai should ring a bell. But uh, whether it does or doesn't, uh, you should tune in for that one. Then in August, we are going to be watching the 2018 anime, I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. And uh, if you think we just picked that film because of the title, you'll have to listen and find out. <laughs> All right. And then in September, we have Road to High and Low. It's a 2016, and that was one of our recommendations for us to do. So we're excited to watch that. 
Very excited for that. Um, October brings back uh, the spooky season. We're watching the 2002 Zhuhon, uh, or The Grudge. Um, we're going to be watching that, which means I will have to put myself through a, another uh, roundabout of horror uh, films and watch all of The Grudge films that were ever created. And, and nobody, and will, have fun. nobody will ever give me the proper rewards for that, but that's fine. <laughs> All right, and then in November, we're watching Perfect Blue. It's 1997. It was supposed to be a uh, very, very good animated movie. We have a trend now for, I think, the third year in a row where we have a uh, pretty much R-rated animated film for the month of November. Um, <laughs> so exciting there. And then we're going to kick things off and close things out, is what I meant to say, in uh, December of 2022 uh, with it all began when I met you, 2013, focused around the holiday Christmas. Yeah, wanted to find something uh, Christmassy or December-y for December. So, so that's that, coming up in a year. So that is what we will be closing out the 2022 year list. Uh, very excited. If any of these films piqued your interest or if there are any films that we are not talking about that you wish we would talk about, let us know. Um, and we will get to those uh, maybe in 2023 or maybe, you know, we'll don't want to watch it uh, for the show, but one of us might uh, watch it on our own accord and bring it up in the what else are we watching segment. So we will have some graphics out so you can reference that you don't have to get out your pen and paper or write our <laughs> list down right now um, we'll be also giving you a heads up uh, as each one approaches so um, just just so you're kind of aware of what we've gotten scheduled for you and then we are also going to be coming back at the end of December for our first annual year in review this will be a year in review plus uh, what films we watched in 2020 so that'll be coming out at the end of this month so keep an eye on the feeds for that before the 15th of january but other than that i think that's all we have is is that it i think we've covered it we will be uh doing the fact check here in a second and and if you're not sticking around for the fact check you're wrong <laughs> thank you we'll catch you in a minute but um until then i've been brandon Jamata. i've been donna jamata Matane. Hi, this is Donna, and I'm back with your fact check. First, when I jump in with some background on Ichigo versus Ichiko, I said that Ichigo means strawberry and is more feminine. To further that point, the kanji for strawberry is made up of the kanji for mom and the component for grass, meaning even the written word has a female connotation. On the other hand, Ichiko doesn't necessarily translate to first child as I'd said. It literally means one child or only child. According to the online Japanese dictionary jisho.org, Ichiko can also mean one of several children, especially the son and heir, so it has a more masculine connotation. Then, Brandon mentions chick flicks and wonders if the term is derogatory. The Merriam-Webster dictionary entry for chick flicks says, quote, sometimes disparaging, a motion picture intended to appeal especially to women, unquote. Next, when talking about Anna Tsuchiya, 
Brandon and I speculate that Anna is a more Western name. The name Anna historically has ties to Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, and was probably popular in the Byzantine Empire. Although its use as a Japanese given name seems to come from Western influence, it can be spelled with kanji, either the kanji for apricot or for peaceful, plus the kanji for the sound na used in Nara, like the Nara prefecture. Later, Brandon talks about Kamikaze Girls composer Yoko Kano and mentions the plagiarism accusations made against her. I haven't been able to find any definitive proof that she did or didn't plagiarize, though it seems some videos were released about a decade ago pointing out similarities between Kano's and others' music. The internet became abuzz with debate over whether she plagiarized or was simply inspired by those samples. If you know more one way or another, we'd love to hear from you and include your feedback. Next, I said that Nana is, quote, super popular, unquote. To put this in more concrete terms, according to the bookseller Barnes & Noble in December 2005, quote, Nana has become the all-time best-selling shoujo title from Japanese publishing giant Shueisha. And the series even garnered a Shogakukan manga award in the girls category in 2003, unquote. It was first created by Ayazawa in 2000 as a manga, then adapted to anime and a couple of movies. The anime has made multiple top anime lists since it first aired in 2006. Then, when Brandon is discussing Edgar Wright, he references a video essay. This is from Every Frame A Painting, not Every Frame of Painting. The channel stopped releasing new videos in September 2017. To learn more about the channel and its creators, check out our show notes for links to their channel and the script for what would have been their final episode if they'd ever made it. Brandon later talks about the animation in the film. He's right that it's a totally different art style than the manga. The animation is done by Studio 4 Degrees C, a Japanese animation company. Brandon relates the style to Cartoon Network productions. Studio 4 Degrees C has in fact worked on Cartoon Network shows and movies, including Transformers Animated in 2008, and a fight scene in an episode of The Amazing World of Gumball. Although in both of these examples, the animation art style looks different than that of Kamikaze Girl's animated sequences. And I feel like I should explain my tone and laugh when I talk about the Japanese government's report on light novels. It was just funny to me to see the statistic on an official government website with a legitimate .jp web address. Clearly, Japan is proud of its media successes, and they have every right to brag about this innovative and highly successful light novel form of literature. Also, we had a slight mispronunciation of the director of Kamikaze Girl's name. It's not Tetsuya Nakashima, it's Tetsuya Nakashima. That's all for the fact check. Stay tuned for our year in review, which will be out at the turn of the year for your listening pleasure. We hope you enjoyed our first full year of the Oki Oki Show. Please join us in 2022 for all the promising films we have lined up. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Okie Okie Show, and that's O-K-I-O-K-I-E-S-H-O-W, to see our movie schedule and interact with us. 
You can also send emails to okiokishow at gmail.com. Domo arigatou gozaimasu. Kiwotsukete.